How are we doing this morning? We're okay. I know we're in mourning from yesterday. That's why really you should actually follow the league because being a Warriors fan makes you a bit more robust about these things when you lose. <laughs> so, um, so I'm just trying to get my screen to turn. So, I'm, I'm glad to see you're here, Lance. I thought you might have been you know, a bit too upset to be here. I was thinking about that this morning. It's just a game? All right, that's good. Yeah. So um, Pastor Craig is in Fiji. He's there with um, Murray Nicklin at the moment. They went over to uh, for the one-year um, anniversary um, of Pastor Alapati passing away. Um, he passed away last year due to COVID, and so um, they're there. Um, they spent some time in Lakina, um, which is one of the preschools that we um, support. So um, they've already, both of them are so funny because they've now got all these ideas about what they want to do with the preschool. And so um, I will expect to hear about a, a missions trip to Fiji fairly soon. Um, and it will be most likely be practical-based as well as spiritual-based. So if you're that way inclined, um, yeah, sort of start praying and seeking God if he wants you to do that. I'm sure you guys will have a great time. And they always do anyway. Um, so, yeah. So we'll just get on with, with that today, I think. Um, so we are, we are doing countercultural. So hopefully you guys have, have been enjoying it, right? Hopefully you have, uh, well, enjoying it's probably not quite the right word because it has been a little bit challenging, right? For, for Well, I've found it challenging. I'm going to share a little bit about that um, as, as the message goes on. But what I wanted to do is to remind everybody, right at the very start, when we did the very first one, I talked about how each one of these is a challenge followed by a promise. So if you get the challenge, if you achieve the challenge, if you are successful in incorporating that challenge into your life, there is this amazing promise that comes with it. And I love how God does that, right? He always rewards us. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. So I thought the best way to do this is let's just relook at, in context, what we're talking about in full. So we're looking at Matthew 5, verses 3 to 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So specifically this week, we're going to look at um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, which is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And this is one of those ones that we had this challenge. We need to be peacemakers. And our reward is that we will be called children of God. And I think that's kind of, kind of interesting, but I wanted to kind of break it down a bit for us. So it starts off with blessed. Now we said right at the start in week one, and hopefully you remember that every time you read the word blessed, it means the same thing. It means that you are in complete joy that circumstances around you do not change you from, com- from this complete joy, that we are so in a position with God, that we are so in place with God, that we so have God moving on the inside of us, that regardless of everything else, we have joy. 
So that when your circumstances are screaming at you, when everything's not looking good and it's not looking right, you still have joy on the inside of you. And that is what we are called to be. As Christians, we are called to live our life like that. We are not called to live emotionally. We are not called to live by our feelings. We're not called to live by our circumstances. We are called to live by the Word of God. And the Word of God says that you are in relationship with God, therefore you are blessed. So we have this joy on the inside of us. And the Beatitudes, I said, were like a ladder. And hopefully you've seen how that works. You've seen this ladder at work as we've gone through. That they have been stacking each one, one upon the other. The first one, which is the most important one, which if you haven't got, you're not going to get the others, was number one was poor in spirit. We are destitute because we can't do it for ourselves and we have that understanding. The second one was we mourn. And there's a special relationship that comes and develops with the Lord when you are in mourning. The third one, meek, was talking about surrendered strength. The fourth one was hunger and for thirst and righteousness. And in all honesty, this is the only way we, we need to live. Number five was merciful, that the forgiven forgive. Number six, the pure in heart. It was about our heart motives. And you have to understand that when Jesus is preaching all of these to his audience, they were sitting there, the anticipation was building, because they knew that this next one was the seventh one. And seven in Jewish culture was really an important number. It is the number of perfection. So they were knowing that whatever this next one was, whatever this seventh one coming, was going to be really important for them. And it was blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You see, you had to understand, they would have, their minds would have been going, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Because in their culture, peace was the highest ideal of life. You need to think about their situation. They have been slaves, so they were looking for peace. They have been uh, conquered people, so they were under war all the time, so they were looking for peace. So for them, peace was highly important. The problem is, is if we don't know what God considers peace, when we pursue what we think is peace, then quite often we're actually heading in the wrong direction. And we'll actually never get the peace that we're looking for. I have found the Beatitudes to be really challenging. Like, it's almost like going to the gym and working out. And you know you need to do it, and you know it's really good for you, but in the moment, it kind of sucks, right? It's hard work, and, and you kind of want to quit on it. And that's kind of what it's been like. For myself, personally, I really struggled with the merciful one. Because there's a situation that's happened um, just in the last year, and I know I need to forgive, and I don't want to. I don't. I'm struggling. Problem is, there's a time limit on this because the person who has, has caused this offense and has upset me, and I need to forgive, I'm going to be seeing them in a couple of weeks, and I can't get out of it. But I know that God's been speaking to me. He's saying, you've got to forgive, you've got to let it go, you've got to move, you're like, you know, and it's just... And so I have found this challenging, um, and I wanted to share that with you because I think some of them, these might be challenging for you. And you might be struggling with the idea that if I don't get this right, if I don't get this perfect, then I'm not a good person. You are a wonderful person, but you can struggle. And that's okay. I'm just always honest with God about the struggle because I said to him, I don't want to forgive. I don't want to do it. <laughs> but God is, come on, friend, let's do this. So speaking about peace, Right? We sometimes get peace wrong because we have an idea of what we think peace is. We often actually, in all honesty, humans across the globe think about peace in a negative state. We think of it as having something removed. 
like world peace, right? We think to have world peace means that there needs to be no war. There needs to be no conflict. And so we think if there are no more wars in the world, we will have peace. That's kind of ridiculous because there are plenty of countries in the world at the moment who don't have any wars, but they're not in peace. Then, then we, if we make it a bit more personal, we think to ourselves that we will have peace if we have an absence of conflict in our life, if we have an absence of disagreement, if we have no more disagreements, and if we have no more conflict, then we will live our life in peace. And, and sure, this will bring you a measure of peace, but it's not going to bring you lasting peace. Because how many people know that you get more than two people in a room, you're going to end up with conflict at some stage, right? So, so that's, that's not lasting peace. Then we think, I can have peace if there's an absence of stress. If I have no stress, if I have no anxiety in my life, then I'm going to be at peace. If I just changed my job, if I, if I weren't doing that particularly stressful job, I would be at peace. Maybe, maybe if I just had a spa day every day. If I had a spa day every day, I'm going to be at peace, right? But maybe if I went on a holiday and I took a break, maybe that would bring me peace. In all honesty, that's not going to bring you peace. That's just escapism, right? And the world says, and the scripture says it this way, and I think it's true. It says in Jeremiah 6:14, peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. You see, peace is never found in the absence of something. It's actually the opposite. Real peace, real lasting peace is actually found in the presence of God. Not by being emptied out, but by being filled up. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And it means wholeness, completeness, fulfillment, inner rest, living without deficiency or lack. See, that is what God is talking about. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said you're going to be a peacemaker. He was talking about wholeness. He was talking about completeness, fulfillment. And there's actually so much, like looking at it, looking at all the scriptures that talk about this idea of shalom and the various ways that it describes it, it was actually going to be too hard to pull out. So I thought, how do I describe it in a way that might help you? So I came to this, this thing that happened in my life. I'm going to share it with you. So about, I think it might be about four years ago. It was pre-COVID. Like, that's how I talk now. Something either happened during COVID or happened before COVID. You know, we no longer have BC. We have, you know, before COVID. Anyway, so, so, it, so it was about four years ago. And I was at, I'd been at work, and I was going to a meeting. And so I had this little black Honda Fit right? Tiny little car. And I picked up this work colleague, and we were driving to Otahuhu, and we were going for this meeting. So I'm in the middle lane of the motorway, and we're just driving along, and in my head, you know, I'm going, right, I've got to come off at East Tamaki, and I want to come off there because I'm gonna, I need to go this way and that way, and I'm going to get there to where the meeting's been held. So in my head, I'm like, I'm going to go past this bridge, and then I'm going to move into the, into the left lane. Be fine. So I'm driving along. Next thing I know, the car is spinning and the passenger side of the car slams into the medium barrier in the middle of the motorway. And I'm like, what the heck? And then the car bounces so that we're, we're in the fast lane. And I look up and this truck is barreling towards us. And I'm like, oh, 
and the truck hits, the window, I watched the window, everything slowed, everything slowed right down. And I watched the window shatter. And then the car begins to spin across all three lanes of the motorway, and we land backwards in a ditch. The thing that's really interesting about that is, for starters, the truck that hit us was speeding. He was doing about 110, 120. He had clipped the back wheel, which had sent us spinning into the median barrier. Then we bounced back into his lane. He, of course, hits us full, full force, and then, of course, we, we spin across. But when, it, when the truck hit, I said, okay, God, you've got to catch me now. I said it out loud. The person who I was with was not a Christian. They said it was the bizarrest thing that I just said, okay, God, you've got to catch me now. But I was at, in that moment, when everything is spinning, I was in complete peace. I was not afraid. I was not scared. I wasn't worried about what was going to happen with my children or with Craig. I, wasn't, I had no regrets. And I was just like trusting that God was going to catch me. I truly believed he was. I heard a voice say, take your foot off the accelerator, hold the wheel steady. So, oh, okay, took my foot off the accelerator, held the, didn't, didn't hit the brake, just held that wheel steady. And then the car, of course, comes to the stop. And interestingly enough, a a ambulance had been following and they'd seen the accident, so they pulled over and um, the truck driver, he eventually came, he managed to get across and stop and all that sort of, he honestly thought we were dead. I think everybody thought we were dead. The ambulance driver said he honestly thought we were dead. But we weren't. And even though I was in this situation, and to be honest, do you know what happened in the end? I ended up with a dead arm. You know when your brother used to punch you in the arm, your arm would be completely dead? It was like that for hours. This, my, this, this, this arm was just like completely, but that was it. Nothing else. They had to cut us out of the car, but I wasn't hurt in any other way. There was like, everybody's like, this is a miracle. You should not have been able to walk away from this. But in that situation and in that moment, I was in this moment of absolute peace because I knew that God had this. And it's the best way that I can describe how God wants us to live because we are in the cocoon of his grace and his peace. And regardless of the circumstances all around us, I was in his peace. I was in his shalom. And that is how he wants us to live. In that moment of absolute peace when everything else around me was just going crazy. Now, the second half of the word peacemaker is the word maker, right? That is to do. It means Maker is another way of saying God. It's also a person or a thing that makes or produces something. You see, God has called us to do peace. God has called us to make peace. God has called us to produce peace wherever we live our lives. And I want you to understand something. This is really, really important. Peacemaking is very different to peacekeeping. You see... Peacekeeping is about everything being nice and everything being soft and let's remove the conflict and, and just don't say that, don't rock the boat, keep everything calm, swallow down what you're going to say, just be nice. Everything is just sweet and love. If you don't say that, you're not going to rock that person up. Let's just keep things really, really calm and really, really still. That is peacekeeping. Biblical peacemaking is very different. It often comes with conflict because it confronts. 
You see, to be a peacemaker, you have to understand that sometimes you have to fight to create the peace that you're looking for or that is required. You see, anywhere where there is a lack, God calls us to step in, in our wholeness, to confront the lack of peace with his truth. You see, it is a battle to create or to make peace in a situation. We are not called to keep the peace, to keep quiet, to swallow things down. We are called to step into situations in his wholeness and present the truth of God into that situation. And that will always bring conflict. Not presenting our truth, because I know that's the new catchphrase this day and age, my truth, your truth, no, no, no. We are to present God's truth, not our own. And we are called and we are blessed when we have peace and when we make peace, we are called peacemakers. When we do that, we are called children of God. You see, God is the God of peace and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when we are peacemakers, we are his children. We are living out our identity and our heritage in him. The best way to sum up this whole kind of um, beatitude is we are never more like God than when we take the wholeness and completeness that we have into a world that desperately needs it. So how are we going to do this? Well, first of all, we're going to experience peace in our hearts. Because you cannot give to anybody or into any situation what you yourself do not have. We have an opportunity to look in the right place, and the right place is God's word, and we're going to look into the right place, and we're going to take that truth, and we're going to present it to the world. We're going to take the shalom that God has for us. How do we do that? We, first of all, we need to experience peace with our God, right? If you do not have not experienced peace with, your, with God, how are you going to take it anywhere? God is the source of all peace. And without tapping into it, we're never going to be able to take it anywhere. Romans 5 verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Peace with God. This is peace with God. The battle between God and ourself is now done. It's finished, and he won. We are no longer fighting with God because we are in relationship with God. And instead of fighting against God, we fight for God. You see, a lot of people in this world are like, are like drivers who are driving on the motorway or driving around, and they've got a police car behind them with the red lights flashing, and they don't know that the police are behind them. You've seen those guys, right? You're on the motorway, you see them, and you can see that the police are there, and they're just ignoring the police. That's what a lot of people in this world are like. You do not have peace with God because they don't know that he's there behind them. Peace can only come through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus and the work that he's done on the cross that gives us and grants us peace. The Bible doesn't say that we will have peace with the devil It doesn't say we're going to have peace with the world or peace with the flesh or peace with sin. What it says is that we will have peace with God. You see, life is still a battle for us as Christians. Like, Just because you have that peace with God doesn't mean that the rest of your life is going to flow so much easier. It's not because the devil will fight against you. But we are fighting with God. When it talks about undeserved privilege, the grace that we now stand in, 
It reassures us that God's present attitude towards us. Do you know that when God looks at you, he looks at you and he sees joy and he sees beauty and he sees pleasure. I think some of you need to understand that God doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. He does. Like, I don't think we understand that. I think we kind of think, oh, God might love me, but he doesn't actually like me. No, no. God actually likes you. And when we're standing in Jesus, when we're standing in grace, you know what it means? It means that you don't have to prove that you're worthy of God's love. You don't. I had an interesting conversation with a, a guy about salvation, and he's like, oh, I think we still have to keep working. No, no, no. Salvation is a free gift. God loves you so that you are worthy of his love. God is your friend. He is. You may, not, you may not realize that. You may not have that understanding. Maybe you haven't experienced that. And if you're someone who has not experienced the friendship of God, then this week ask. Say, God, I want, I want to know you as my friend because he is your friend. Being in right relationship with God means that the door of access to God and his throne is always open. It's always open. You know when your kids come barreling into the house and they come and they climb on your lap or they have a conversation? Seth, at the age of 17, still comes barreling into my bedroom to have a conversation with me, no matter what the time of day or night is. It doesn't matter if I'm sleeping. He'll just come bowling in. Why? Because I'm his mom, and he knows that if he needs something, I'm going to be there. God is exactly the same. You can go straight to him into whatever situation you're dealing with. He doesn't care. You can wake him up. He won't mind. Being in right relationship with God means that I am free from the score sheet, that the account is settled in Jesus. I don't owe any debts that he has paid them all. There is no red in my ledger. I am completely covered. But the best thing about being in right relationship with God is that I get to spend more time praising God and less time hating myself. Because if he loves me, I can start loving myself. And once we have this access to God, we can then, from that point, experience peace within ourselves. And we need peace within ourselves. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I read this really interesting quote a number of years ago, and it says, When a problem causes you to lose your peace... Don't hurry to resolve the problem in the hopes of regaining peace. But first regain peace and then see what can be done about the problem. And I actually think that's really good, particularly if you are dealing with stuff that are emotionally charged. Don't, don't try to resolve the problem thinking it's going to bring you peace. Gather your peace. Gather your space in Jesus first and then the answer for your problems will come. Prayer, petition with thanksgiving is actually what it's all about. Prayer is raw, and it's real, and you don't hold anything back. It's when you come to God and you say, God, I don't know what's going on. You know, our finances have just gone down the toilet. The kids are playing up. In fact, half of them are wanting to walk away from Jesus, and I don't understand, and my life is falling apart, and, you know, today I hate my husband because, you know, this and that and something else. And then, you, so you, it's raw, and it's just all this emotion. That is prayer. And it's honest. Be honest. Petition is when we boldly come to God, and we had this access we just talked about. We have access. We can boldly come into God's throne room, and we ask. The Bible says if we ask, seek, 
knock, that God will answer us. And so when we petition God, we come in and we say, Father, just lost my job, just got this massive amount of debt, just had this happen, but Father, I know that your word says that you are Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. I know, Father, that because I have been tithing, that you will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing for me that I will not have room enough to contain it. See, when you petition God, you are asking for strategies. You are repeating back his word to him. That is petition. But here's the most powerful part. Whether you're praying or whether you're petitioning is thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is this. Before I even see the result, I am going to praise God in advance. Before I even see the answer, I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge that my faith is in God. And so when you do that, that's when I start praying things like, God, I thank you that you go before me. I thank you, God, that you will clear the path. I thank you, God, that even though the the financial situation that we're in says these things, that you, God, have already restored for me. Lord, that every promise is yes and amen. And you begin to thank God for what he has given you and thank God for what he has done. And the moment we do that, that's when peace actually transcends into our hearts and into our minds. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving is where we get our peace from. And then you can live that peace out into the world around you. And you'll experience peace with your circumstances. John 16.33 is an interesting passage, and it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. It's Jesus speaking. And in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. This is a really interesting passage because here Jesus is offering his disciples peace. What's really interesting is that he made this offer in the most unlikely of circumstances. He knew that at that very moment that Judas was actually meeting to betray him. He knew that. He knew that's what Judas was doing. He also knew that within 24 hours he would be beaten, he would be humiliated, he would be uh, whipped, he would be crucified and mocked tortured, all of that sort of stuff. By the time that next day was over, he knew that was happening. And in this situation where his disciples should have been comforting him, what did he do? He said, I offer you peace. Why? Because Jesus already had enough peace for himself and he had enough peace to give to other people. See, Jesus doesn't promise us peace. He offers us peace. See, people may follow Jesus and yet they deny themselves the peace that he has. We gain peace when we accept what Jesus offers. Jesus says that in me you may have peace. You're not going to find real peace anywhere other than in the arms of Jesus. And we need that peace so that we can, in all honesty, extend peace through our lives. You see, we have to have peace before we can give it. And we need to have the God peace before you can give it. Not your own peace, not what the world calls peace. And peace in the Bible is not described as a lake, but it's described as a river. Because it needs to flow through you. It comes from God through you and out into the world and out into the lives of somebody else. The seventh beatitude is actually giving us our job. It's telling us our job description. It's giving us a mission. We actually have the solution for the world. Currently, you can see it around the world. The world's basically on fire. I have no other way to describe what's happening in our world currently. The weird things that people say, the misunderstandings, just like, honestly, I I read what's coming out of the news in America, and I'm just like, what the heck? What concerns me, I'm starting to see it here in our own nation. We are 
God's firemen. We run into these situations, not away from these situations. We run into these situations, we don't hide away and shy away from these situations. And God is saying that he wants you to run into it, not worried about what's going to happen to you, but knowing that you're on a mission for God and that he will watch over you. You see, when you have peace and you understand that you have God's peace, it comes with a responsibility because it's not just for you. It's not for you to hold on to. It's not for you to just keep to yourself, but it's for you to then take into another situation and create or make peace into that situation. See, we have a responsibility. And what does that look like? First of all, we need to stay focused on the real issue. The real issue. Our enemy, your enemy, is not your boss. It's not your job. It's not the fact that the All Blacks lost last night. It's not even politics. It's not social media. It's not the pandemic. Our enemy is not even whether whether mandates should have happened or not happened or whether there should have been vaccines or not vaccines, that is actually not our enemy. The Bible is very, very clear. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Our enemy is Satan, is the devil, is the thief. He is who our enemy is. And when it says here in that verse about having life and having it abundantly, it's the same idea as shalom. It's reminding us that God has come so you can have completeness, so that you can have wholeness. You see, the enemy wants you to empty out, but Jesus has come to fill you up. And we have to always constantly remind ourselves that we do not wage war the way that the world does because we are not fighting a worldly battle. We are fighting against principalities and against powers, against demonic spirits. That is our real enemy. And if we know that and understand that, then that gives us a framework about what we need to do when we go into situations. God has called us to bring peace to our world. But you've got to first see what the problem is, the real problem is, what the issues are behind it so that you know what you need to do. Because first and foremost, we have to see others through God's eyes. You see, the current spirit of, spirit of this world is trying to get us to focus on all of our differences, right? It's trying to get us to focus on how different we are, how we are... People have different experiences, and so therefore you don't know them. They're trying to get us to focus... And then out of that difference, they want us to try and find unity. You see, God's view is actually very, very different. And it starts at the opposite side of the spectrum. It's not about our differences. What God wants us to focus on is what makes us all the same. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, there are a lot of differences between people. There really are. But the common ground, and this is the most important common ground that we have, the one that we share with every single person on this planet, every nationality, every race, every political party, every single person that is breathing on the face of this planet shares the same thing. We are made in the image of God. And therefore, they are worthy of dignity and respect for that very reason. That God's image is inside of them. Even when we disagree with them, even when we don't like them, even when we don't understand, if we start at that point that they are made in the image of God, then we're going to have to take 
we're going to have the compassion to take peace into a place that doesn't exist. Because remember, peacemaking is not passive. It is, involves conflict because it involves truth, and truth, biblical truth, will always bring conflict. And we don't back down from the truth because we are living it out of our lives. They are made in his image, and therefore they are worthy for us to take his peace into their situation. If we live this out, if we were all to do this, if Christians were to do this right now, it would make a massive difference in our world. Because this world is on fire, and it's going to hell in a handbasket. But we can step into things immediately and begin to make a difference. It's hard. It is hard to be a peacemaker, but it is possible. You know, the world is trying to shame us into stuff and shame us into trying to fix stuff, but it's not biblical justice that they're looking for. If we do it in God's power, then we can do this. We as a church can step into their incompleteness and bring God's completeness to it. So how do we do that? It's really easy. By passionately pursuing God. If we make Jesus and our relationship with God the focus of our life, then we're going to be equipped to be peacemakers in a world that just creates conflict all around us. Maddie, can I just have you come? There was a theologian in the first century, and he did this great example of, a, uh, of talking about how we reach people with a wagon wheel. Is that, can you put the wagon wheel up for me? Right. So I want you to look at this wagon wheel. I thought this was such a great illustration. And I want you to picture this is the world. And we've got people all around the outside of the rim of the wagon wheel, right? All around it. Now, you can probably find common ground with your neighbor directly to your left or to your right, maybe even one or two spaces across. But you're not going to be able to find common ground with the person on the other side of the wheel, right? But you're going to look at them and you're going to go, well, they're a bit different. But I want you to imagine... If God is in the center of this world, and if I make loving God, if I make serving God my priority, then that puts me on a pathway that leads towards the center. And if you, wherever you are, make loving God, make serving God, make God the priority in your life, it's going to put you on a pathway that leads you to the center of where God is. And if Joe Bloggs, in the church, wherever he is, or whoever he is, does the same thing by focusing upon God, by loving on God, making God the priority and serving God the priority puts him on a pathway towards God. And if we're all doing that, then we are going to get closer together the closer we get to God. If I make God the focus, then I become equipped to love people I encounter. It's a powerful picture, and this is actually the purpose of Revive. This is one of the things that we want for Revive. We want Revive to be a church full of of different people, multi-ethnic people. We have one culture, and that culture is kingdom culture. And we're going to do that by spreading peace. We're going to spread peace by living peace. Martin Luther King Jr. says, Be the peace that you wish to see in the world. Be the peace that you wish to see in the world. James 3.18, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Galatians 5 is, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And if you live out your life with the fruit of the Spirit, if you go into situations, you can plant those seeds. If you have not taken the time to grow those fruit in your own life, you're not going to have any seeds to plant. 
and we become the evidence of peace to our world. Matthew 5, 9 says that we will be called children of God. Not that we call ourselves the children of God. Not that we buy a t-shirt that says that we're the children of God. Not that we throw it up on our Instagram, but that people around us will say, you are the children of God. And they will know that because they will see that because of how we live our life. John 17, to 23 says, The same glory you gave to me, I gave them, so that they will be unified and together as we are, I and them and you and me. Then we'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you have sent me and loved them in the same way that you've loved me. This world needs evidence. And guess what? You're it. You are the evidence that God exists. You are the evidence that God moves. You are the evidence that God loves. You are the evidence that God brings peace. You are the evidence that God brings truth. You see, when you live God's truth in your everyday life, that's all the evidence people need to see. Because our life comes with responsibility. So you're going to be peacemakers because you're going to take that peace and you're going to create that peace. You're going to make that peace in people's worlds because you're going to be whole in yourself because you have a relationship with Jesus, right? You have a relationship with Jesus. You are growing. You are developing those seeds of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in your own life. And then you're going to walk into the situation when you have your wholeness. You're going to take that wholeness and you're going to give it to the world that desperately needs it. We are never more like God than when we take our wholeness and completeness into this world that desperately needs it. And when you do that, you are a child of God. Why don't you stand to your feet? I find the looking at the Beatitudes as a ladder this week in particular was quite interesting. It's like, you know, I know that I'm destitute and I need Jesus in every step, every stage I need God. And then we're talking about, you know, I have to surrender myself. You know, I get comfort from God because of the losses that I've experienced. You know, like there's been a mourning, there's been a loss and God's going to comfort me in such a way. And then, you know, I'm, I'm surrendering my strength to God. I am forgiving other people. And we're starting, and I've, I've got this pure heart, and I'm seeing God. I'm seeing where God's moving. And so now I know that God is moving in the area of making peace. So now I know that I have a job to do. It's, it's, all, the other six were all about dealing with stuff internally, but now I actually have to walk out what I've been learning. And you know what? What's interesting, of course, is the next one next week we start talking about the persecution. You, you need to make sure that you'll be moving through this ladder because you're going to face that persecution. I don't want you to face that persecution without having had these other six. And the seventh one as your, because as you begin to walk out the seventh one, that's when you're going to face that persecution. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, if you have missed any of this series, and I really encourage you to, um, to, to track it back down on our Facebook page or on Vimeo and watch them. But I want to pray for you this morning. Because this is, being a peacemaker is hard. It's not pleasant. Conflict is never pleasant. Even those of us who, who are okay with conflict, it's not pleasant. I don't know anyone who says, yeah, I love conflict. You know? But you're going to enter into situations where you need to take the wholeness that God has given you, 
the truth that He has spoken in your life, you need to speak it into the lives of the people around you. And that's going to take courage. That's going to take boldness. Yeah? So let's pray. Father, we thank You, God, for Your Word. We thank You, God, for Your Word that equips us. We thank You, God, for Your Word that shows us the right way to live in this world that has just gone on fire. We thank You, God, that You are going to give us strategies, that You're going to give us Your words. Father, that You're going to give us the right things to say in the right situation. Lord, that we remove ourselves and our feelings and our, our, our understanding of the situation. We rely solely upon Your understanding of the situation. I pray, God, for each person that You will give them courage, that You will give them boldness, Father, that they will take the wholeness that you have gifted them, the peace that now resides within them, Father, and show them how to speak to other people, to make peace in other people's lives, to make peace into other situations, God. And Lord, that as they do so, God, that they will feel you walking beside them, that your spirit is right there with them, that they do not do this alone, because we are friends, and we are family, and we are children of the Most High God. So I thank you, God, for these people, Father, who have dedicated themselves to growing the fruit of the Spirit, to being able to plant seeds in other people's lives. Father, because they are now calling themselves peacemakers and children of the Most High God. And we thank you, God, that your blessing is upon each and every one of them. And Lord, that they will have testimonies of the goodness and the greatness of God. Grant them words of wisdom. Grant them your protection, Father. Lord, help them to move through these Beatitudes, Father, to become the whole people that you've created for them to be. And all God's people said, Amen. So why don't you guys stick around? Um, join us for a cup of tea or coffee. That would be really awesome. Sign up for the conference if you have not already done so. Um, and I'm really super excited about our 100-year celebration. We're having cake. Um, the only thing you would ever have to pay for for the 100-year celebration is any merchandise if you wanted to buy one of them. Otherwise, like I said, we're going to have food trucks here, but all of that's going to be free. You will have to register. We are limiting the numbers. There are people who have been a part of this church who have moved away who are wanting to come. So we're going to have to cap it at about 300. So as soon as the registration goes up, I um, recommend that you guys get yourselves registered so that you don't miss out. Um, but otherwise, have yourself a great week. Enjoy this last week of the school holidays. Switch is back on next week um, and we will see you guys yeah on Sunday <laughs>